welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where Frank, Scott, Chris, and Adam. Back in high school, who had the best hair? Who was best dressed? What about most athletic? Ah, who doesn't love the yearbook superlatives? Welcome to Fantasy Baseball Today on a Tuesday. On a Tuesday. That's for you, Adam. Uh, June 16th, Frank Stanfield alongside Chris Towers, Scott White, and making his triumphant return. We've already said his name. Adam Azer. Adam, a lot has changed since you were last here on Friday. How's it going? Would you like to address the cheating Yankees here at the top? Well, first of all, I just thought it was funny that you threw out the three superlatives that you obviously won in high school. What? Best hair, best dressed, and most athletic. Congratulations. Not me, man. Uh, <laughs> well, best hair you should have won. That I can say. Like You're always wearing a hat. I don't know why. Let, let the people see the goods. Do you want to see basically. this right now? Let's see what we got. Let's see the hat hair. Come on. You got to have good hair to have it's, hat hair. It's like, pretty uh, good even with the hat <laughs> terrible. being taken off. Yeah. Uh, the Yankees, the Yankees cheating thing is just so, I just always found it funny how baseball players were like, well, you're allowed to cheat, but not Astros cheat. That was like, basically the that, that, way that's the whole, like, up. That, that's the whole baseball thing is like Barry Bonds is persona non grata for hall of, for at least a significant portion of hall of fame voters who will then like wax poetically about the the showmanship and gamesmanship of Gaylord Perry like scuffing balls and using spitballs and it's like how how are these like if anything the guy who's actually literally changing the baseball should draw more ire I think I feel like people are kind of anti-Gaylord Perry I don't think I I very much think he's always been viewed as like a one of baseball's wacky characters, Gaylord Perry. And there's, there's an appearance by the cat already. <laughs> it's pretty early for David Bowie to be out and about here. Uh, but this was actually uh, something... Hit him. This was something uh, Will Middlebrooks spoke about when we had him on, that it's like the gamesmanship within the game, right? It's like you're allowed to try and figure out signs if you're a hitter on second base. Like that's part of the gamesmanship, but it's you know using anything else, the technology side of things where it kind of becomes a little crazy. So it's, I mean, it's all part of the game. I would but say, no, but th- this is, this is the difference. This is the, like, basically my opinion is based on a column in the New York post, uh, by Dave, Ken Davidoff, Yankees cheating allegations are total sham. <laughs> basically <laughs> the premise is the reason why what the Yankees was, was doing wasn't as bad was because they weren't doing it in real time. They were using the video room to look at signs. And then later in the game, they would use those uh, advantageously, or according to Mark Teixeira, not really that advantageously because uh, teams were changing the signs. Whereas the Astros were looking at signs and then using the trash can to immediately give hitters uh, the signal of what was coming. So it's just funny. It's like, I always felt like people were criticizing the Astros so much. You better not have any skeletons because (laughs) it's going to come out. Don't throw stones. The Astros did, but it's cheating. Like cheating is either wrong or it isn't. And if you're going yeah, to say wrong. like, cause like you look at Barry Bonds hall of fame case, Barry Bonds started taking steroids in 1998. Do not ask me, Oh, we don't know that. Like there is a really exhaustively researched book that tells us Barry Bonds started using in 1999 versus no evidence that he used before. If you end Barry Bonds career in 1998, 
He's one of the 15 best players in baseball history. He's the only member of the 400-400 club. So the only argument for keeping Barry Bonds out of the Hall of Fame is it, cheating is a moral wrong that we must yeah. punish. It's right. not, and well, I, I he agree. shouldn't have been in the Hall of Fame because he didn't deserve it based on you. Like The only argument is it's the moral point, in which yes. case you don't get to have sliding scales of, well, some cheating is immoral, but some is like it's. It, that is not that, how it works. That is not how, but like logically, that does not follow. Like, yeah, no, come on, either, you know, it is so, either morally wrong or it isn't. Some things are worse than others, Chris. You know that. But that's like the fabric of baseball, too, right? That that goes back to the gamesmanship that I was talking about, where trying to steal signs within the game is like a part of the game. It's like kind yeah. of morally not right, but it's always been there anyway. But obviously, I, using. I, cameras and and trash cans is a little bit more advanced yeah i just want to know how long we can go without letting scott give an opinion because we're doing really like <laughs> crazy well right that's bizarre scott white is here <laughs> scott how you doing I, I am yeah i don't i don't have i don't have as strong opinions on this matter i guess so i'm just happy to let you guys run with it that's fine with me i have something you might have an opinion on and we're going to get into it Right now, today on the show, we're going to update you on a homework assignment that Adam gave me over the weekend. We have fantasy superlatives, and of course, we got some more news yesterday, Scott, which, why not kick the show off with this every day? We've basically become conspiracy theorists trying to figure out what is going on between the MLB, the MLB Players Association, Rob Manfred, every single day. We are six days removed from... The MLB draft, the first round of the MLB draft, where Rob Manfred was on ESPN, quoted as saying, we will unequivocally 100% have a baseball season. And then Scott, yesterday, came out with Mike Greenberg, of all people, on ESPN, uh, that he's not so sure anymore. He's not so confident that we're going to have a baseball season. What is happening? Is this a stall tactic so that we can get to like the 50-game mark and it makes more sense to start it up then. What do you got? It's not a good look, no matter how you slice it. It's, uh, you know, I've, I've been very consciously disinterested in not taking sides throughout this whole ordeal, but Rob, Robert Manfred looked like a total scallywag yesterday. Like it was, that's the only, like, that's the only thing it could, that's the only Way if if you're hoping for a baseball season still this year, that's the only way you could view it positively. Is it's a stall tactic? So, uh, you know, either they want the players to waive their right to file a grievance against the league that they didn't negotiate in good faith, uh, or else they're not going to start the season, or they're just going to let enough time pass that before they start the season, there will only be time to fit the 50 or so games they want in because right. if they started the season in early July, you know, it would be, it would be difficult to argue that that's, that that's all there was time for. And the language of the March agreement says that it has to be, uh, you know, they have, they have to make every reasonable effort to play as many games as possible or something like that. So yeah. it's either they're sincerely thinking about not having the season because there's just not enough benefit to the owners to uh, to go through with it, or it's just a stall tactic, and neither one, you know, both both look very yucky. And it's worth noting a couple things. One, uh, 
I believe Joel Sherman just tweeted that he has uh, six owners that don't want to start the season. Uh, John Rose, Ken Rosenthal apparently has eight or more who don't want to start the season. Uh, and the owners kind of gave the game away when they made first like an 86 game offer and then a 76 and then a 72 game. If they come back tomorrow and say, okay, we're going to play a 55 game season. That means that they're not doing what Scott said, making a reasonable effort to like, they've already acknowledged that they could play more games. So they kind of either have to run out the clock, like Scott said, until, I mean, really like mid July or like early July to the point where they can say, okay, well now we can have a three week spring training and then we can have a 50 game season. Starting in August. Uh, Yeah. It's pretty transparent what they're doing. (laughs) Like it's, it sucks. What are they doing in a situation filled with no transparency? (laughs) They want, what do you think they're doing? They want as few games as possible. So they're stalling Adam. Yeah, I think I, they're they're they are now stalling. Is, they want is the as, as long as they have to pay the fully prorated salaries. They want as few games as possible. Yes, yeah. which uh, which sucks. Like if you're a baseball fan, that really sucks. If you're a fantasy baseball player, it sucks. You want, I mean, a 72 game season wouldn't be ideal, but it would be better than a 55 game season or a 50 game season or a 48 game season. It just the whole thing is. It's just super distressing and super disappointing. And even for someone like me who is uh, very much cynical about the business machinations of sports, the whole thing has been just, uh, it's been a real bad, bad time. It has not helped improve my mood. And especially so for head-to-head points league players and head-to-head yeah. categories leagues, right? We spoke about this yesterday, and Adam, you weren't here. I don't, know, I don't know if you have an opinion on the matter, but we said if it's a 48 or 54-game season, if it averages out to six games per week for MLB teams, you're looking at an eight- or nine-week head-to-head season, which at that point, you have six or seven regular season weeks, and then you have two weeks for the playoffs. And if you play in a 12-team league, only four teams are making the playoffs. And in the regular season, you're probably playing double headers or even triple headers so that, you know, there's a little bit more uh, parity so that the records reflect something that looks kind of like a normal season. But ultimately, that's where we're at. It's it, it affects real life baseball. It affects fantasy baseball. Anything to add, Adam? I, I, honestly, oh, sorry. Or, or Chris? No, 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 it's okay. No, I, uh, not really. I don't have anything to add. Uh, you could just do kind of a total points thing and get rid of matchups if you want. Um. It's disappointing for sure, and uh, and also there also there's coronavirus. So uh, you know the the football news that came yesterday with the Texans and the Cowboys just kind of goes to show you that no matter what happens when sports returns for fantasy, it's going to be the wackiest yeah. year. They're going to be guys are going to test positive. It, it's guys gonna are going to hold out. Guys are just going to not play. Yeah, some yeah, some won't. But you know, most of these guys know that they're going to be fine if they test positive. Thank God. But they are going to test positive. They're going to be out for two weeks, um, at least. And it's just going to be a wacky, wacky year. And it's going to be one of those situations where if you do really poorly in fantasy this year, you can just, you have such so many built-in excuses. So <laughs> it's it is not a win-win situation. This is not the year for high-stakes play. I no. Agree, I would say. Um, you, know, you know what I would prefer, actually, to like a, an eight or nine game or a nine-week season? Let's just go full college baseball style. Start in mid-July, play like 
what would that be? 12, 13 weeks, four games a week. You have like a Tuesday or a Wednesday game. You got your weekend series. Let's just go all out. We don't, teams will only need three starting pitchers. Let's just do it. Let's do it. And just piggybacking off the point that Adam made, I mean, there's going to be players that don't want to play because they have health complications. Like Carlos Carrasco. We don't even know if Carlos Carrasco is going to be able yeah. to play in a in a season like this because, I mean, he is he has recovered from leukemia, right? And yeah. <laughs> coronavirus is still a thing. So, you know, if that is where the owners wanted to point things, like say, hey, look, the pandemic is still like, there's whatever the stats are. I think it's 21 states are still seeing numbers increasing in coronavirus. Like, yeah, that's that's probably more of a reason than anything, you know, money-related for not starting up a season. But alas, let's jump into the homework assignment. Uh, we do want to get to some fantasy superlatives as well. Uh, admittedly, I was given the homework assignment. Chris basically took it and made it look way better and way smarter. So he will give his take on the research. Uh, but here is ultimately what I found. On Friday, we got into a little debate on whether or not it's easier to project early round hitters than it is early round pitchers in a 50-game season. Here's what I did. I used NFBC ADP over the past five years, dating back to 2015. I looked at all starting pitchers and all hitters ranked inside the top 70 picks. Not sure why I chose 70, but I considered that the cutoff to be an early round player. I then looked at the league leaders in ERA for starting pitchers and offensive war for hitters over the first 50 games of each of those seasons. I considered ranking top 30 in either ERA or offensive war meant you were a positive contributor at that point in the season. For example, if you're 3.68 ERA among starting pitchers through 50 games uh, ranked 30th, then you qualified. Same thing for hitters with offensive war. For all intents and purposes, again, this was just an exercise to see how many of the top 70 players drafted each season are living up to expectations through the first 50 games. So what I found was that 50% of hitters drafted inside the top 70 picks over the past five years ranked top 30 in offensive war after the first 50 games. For starting pitchers, however, that percentage was just 26%. Therefore, based on what I did, and I'm not sure how accurate it is or whatever it might be, but this is what I found, was that projecting hitter performance for early round hitters in the first 50 games of a season is easier to predict than projecting starting pitcher performance during that same span. It's open up to Wait, I have a, I have a the world. Okay. So you said 50% of hitters, 26% of pitchers, right? Yes. Does that factor in... How did you come to that number? Does that factor in the fact that there are a lot more hitters than pitchers being drafted in those 70 picks? Like, you look at ADP this year, it's almost... 50 hitters to 20 pitchers. So you're going to get a lot more hitters that show up. Well, am I, am I doing, am I thinking of this right? Oh yeah. He was talking about rates already, right? It was like 50% to 26% was what you said. Yes. But no, your question is valid, Adam. It's, I didn't just like parse through the top 35 hitters in ADP and the top 35 pitchers. I literally just used the top 70 picks in ADP. So in any given season, if there were 50 hitters drafted in the top 70 picks and there were only 20 pitchers, then yeah, that obviously puts pitchers at a disadvantage. That's why it's not like a foolproof system by any means. And again, this was using NFBC ADP. Um, and I didn't you know, calculate for each year how many hitters were in the top 70 and how many pitchers. But these are all things that 
I should have, <laughs> realistically. Chris, I know that uh, you also did some research and, and had some findings of your own. Yeah, yeah. And, and so basically, I, I, did a, I wanted to look at a couple of things based on recent discussions that we've had. I wanted to look at uh, how pitcher, starting pitchers versus hitters return value on your investment. And then I wanted to look at that conversation we had last week about whether you, know, you, can, you can't rely on or the lower end guys might have more value in a, in a, in April through May situation before they get figured out that kind of, that whole discussion that we had. So first off, I looked at the last three years, ADP, just like you did. I took uh, roto values and basically split them up by draft range. So I split up the top 12, 13 through 24. So the first round, second round, and then two rounds each over the next, over the rest of the draft. And what I found was, uh, over the last three seasons, the average hitter has re- has produced a full season roto score uh, in the first round of about 14.6. That is the equivalent to what Jorge Soler or J.D. Martinez did. So, you know, you, you usually get a pretty good return on your investment. Uh, on the pitching side, it was a 12.2 roto score. Um so a little bit lower, you get a, a little worse return on your investment among those first rounders. That makes sense. Reflects how we draft. We take hitters early more than pitchers. Second round, pitchers actually have a slightly better return on investment uh, than hitters. And then after that, it weighs pretty heavily towards the hitting side in the early rounds, especially that that's third through fourth range. Hitters return way better value. Uh, fifth through sixth kind of close, but then uh, 8th through 12th or 11th round, yeah, that'd be the way to go. 8th through 11th round, hitters were way more value. So basically within the top 120 picks, the first 10 rounds, hitters generally provide a better return on average at every draft range. Um, And this fits in with some other research that I've seen. You know, Ariel Cohen on Fangraphs last year did a kind of breakdown of which tiers of starting pitcher provide the best return on investment. I think uh, uh, I can't remember the other guy's name. Uh, Adam Ager. No. Mike uh, Gianella. Mike Gianella did a similar one on baseball reference or baseball perspectives. And what he, what both found was basically like that top tier of starting pitchers, however you define it, you know, top 10, top 15 uh, tend to return the best, uh, the most value on their investment that you make on them. After that, it gets really, really shaky for starting pitchers. You know, after basically that first 15, maybe first 24 to 25, uh, pitchers, basically you're just kind of guessing. Like you, you would have about as much luck if you were just flipping a coin or you know, doing a random number generator. It's, so, you know, for, for me, that tells me, you know, in a normal season, you probably do want to make sure you take multiple of those top tier pitchers um, and then try as best you can to avoid, you know, that kind of, you know, on the Fantasy Football Today podcast, Ben Gretsch talks about the running back dead zone, which is like the fifth through ninth round. Um, you know, maybe that starting pitcher dead zone is kind of the same thing. Maybe that, you know, fifth through 10th round or something. Um so that's the season long results. And then I did some kind of, uh, I'm very much an amateur stats person, by the way. I 
dropped the only stats class I took in college because I had a midterm on Halloween. Chris, if you're an amateur, then what am I? Uh, I don't know, man. But basically, I, <laughs> Minor I know how league. to do functions. I know how to do functions on Excel. Uh, you're an intern. And so basically what I found was um, I looked at ADP and how it correlated to re- the return on investment through various points in the season. So I looked at two-month spans throughout the season, April through May, May through June, et cetera. Um, and 2019 was an unusually predictable year overall for hitters and pitchers. Uh, strongest correlation between value and ADP for any of the last three seasons. There was basically no statistically significant difference between the relationship between ADP and production for any period of the season. ADP explained about as much of a pitcher's performance in April and May as it did in August and September, uh, which is worth noting, not very much. Uh, mm-hmm. Pitching, you know, hitting, it's also true for. Hitting is only slight, ADP is only slightly more predictive of a player's value both through the season and overall than pitching, although it is more consistent throughout. Um, so, yeah, I think that kind of proves for me that at least when it comes to how we deal with a 50-game season, it shouldn't necessarily change how you value pitchers all that much. I think how you value pitchers relative to hitters, I would go more hitter-heavy early on uh, in a shortened season, but how, how you value pitchers relative to each other shouldn't change. You shouldn't downgrade the aces. You shouldn't upgrade the lower end guys, you know, the pitcher rankings should generally look how they always do. At least that's, you know, my take, my, my, my research showed at least. And like I said, amateur statistician, <laughs> it's possible. I made a copy and paste error somewhere because I don't have any way to automate all of this. I feel confident in my results, but specifically uh, you, you're saying that just because a pitcher hasn't seen the league a lot, we shouldn't expect him to perform better because of that over a two month span. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, hitters actually do have, there is actually a high higher correlation between ADP and value in April and May and May and June for hitters, which is actually interesting. Um, what that tells me is the injuries as the injuries start to mount up, uh, pile up, that's when things get harder to predict for pitchers, hitters. Where for pitchers, April and May are actually slightly uh, more heavily correlated to ADP. The higher you're drafted, the higher you tend, the better you tend to perform. Um, but that disappears by May, by like that May to June stretch. Uh, ADP has basically no correlation <laughs> to production and, and that holds pretty steady for the full season. So, you know, that, that I think also makes sense because you're looking at injuries and pitchers, the, the attrition rate for pitchers is a lot higher. You're more, your, your pitcher's more likely to get hurt in April than your hitter. All right, Scott, I see a lot of head nodding down there. <laughs> so break this down in English. <laughs> I mean, Chris broke it down pretty well. Uh, yeah, I, I was, I basically decided I'm not really going to change my approach that much. I am moving up certain pitchers based on, for workload reasons, guys whose workload was going to be restricted over a longer season and isn't so much anymore. And specifically, that's like 
Jesus Lazardo, Rich Hill, uh, you know, maybe Julio Arias, but I'm not super confident he's going to go deep into games, so not even that much for him. But just in terms of um, even even hitters versus pitchers, uh, I do understand that hitters, I mean, hitters were always going to be more predictable than pitchers, but especially over a shorter season when you're talking about 10 or so starts from a pitcher, what a hitter is going to provide over that same period of time is going to be much more predictable, but it doesn't really change the drop-off that I've been talking about all year where, you know, it's a nice slow slope in terms of expected hitting outcome. And then it's just a cliff at starting pitcher and I don't want to be on the other side of the cliff no matter how long the season is so I'm still going to be trying to get at least four of my top 35 because that's where I see the cliff uh, at least at least threatening to appear and um, yeah I, I wish I could I wish I could move hitters up compared to pitchers but I, I don't think it's feasible just because the way that the starting pitcher position breaks down right now like I don't the uh, all, all you're really doing if you if you downgrade pitchers and accept more on the wrong side of the cliff is just a, cliff is just asking to get lucky, asking that the pitchers you do pick up are the ones who uh, do things they're not necessarily expected to do over a shorter period of time, and that's not really a winning strategy as far as I'm concerned. I, I hear what you're saying, Scott, but I guess my whole point, which how all this started, was that I'm willing to embrace more of that, I guess, luck factor in a shortened season, which isn't completely helpful. I understand what you're saying. Like, it's not entirely a winning strategy, but I am in a 50-game season. I just think that there is going to be more luck involved, and I'm willing to embrace that luck more so than I would be over the course of a 162-game season because, I mean, the reason why fantasy baseball is what it is is because it's a grind and that you can... You can almost change your fortune throughout the course of the season by being diligent and making trades and buy low and sell high and and making waiver wire additions. Whereas in a shortened season, you just don't have that grind on your side. So I'm almost willing to embrace the luck more so this season than I would ever before. If that well, makes let me sense. Present a hypo- oh. Let me Sorry. present a hypothetical, if you don't mind. Yep. Um, let's say let's say your fourth starter is Zach Wheeler. Uh, Zach Wheeler goes out and gets shellacked his first time out. You're sticking with Zach Wheeler, and you're probably going to be fine based on what we what we know about Zach Wheeler. Let's say your fourth starter is somebody who has some sleeper appeal, but we don't really know what to expect from him, like uh, Mitch, Keller. Uh, M- Mitch Keller, or I was going to say Jose Urquidy, somebody like that, and they get shellacked first time out, and they get shellacked second time out. What are you doing? Are you are you just going to stick with him? Or are you going to pick up the flavor of the week type off waivers who isn't going to be somebody that, uh, you know, we had higher hopes for going on the season than Arkady or Keller or somebody like that? I mean, you but you can't afford you can't afford to stick with somebody who may never turn it around when you. You know, you can afford the patience in a longer season. You could you could wait to see how it plays out and maybe wait to see till something emerges on waiver wire that is would legitimately be more trustworthy. Like you're just caught 
in this end, endless spiral of guessing and, and chasing the hot hand in a short season if you don't go with something you feel like you can actually rely on. Well, my retort so, uh, to that would, sorry, Chris, would be, it's okay. you mentioned, <laughs> Chris keeps trying to get in Chris here. Talked a lot. We'll get you in there, Chris. Well, I just, I, I have one point that I wanted to get out. <laughs> go ahead. Go, Chris. Go. Uh, you kept saying luck. And I, I, this is sort of nitpicky and it's sort of botanic, but I do think it, it helps communicate the point better. The, the shortened season, it's not necessarily like luck has certain connotations. And I think it's better to say uncertainty because when you, when you're talking about, like let's use the like 538, you know, they're they're like election model. The thing they talk about a lot is like there's an average, let's say one candidate's up by five points, and the average polling error is four points, or the margin of error is three points, and the average polling error is th- is three points, let's say. So the error could swing to the point where the person who's down ends up winning. You know, there's that six-point margin that could swing, but it's just as likely that it could be an 11 point margin. So I, I think it's, it's worth talking about it more as uncertainty rather than just luck, which is to say that, you know, when we're talking about uncertainty for pitcher, it means that Mitch Keller could get rocked in his first two starts. It also means he could go out and throw 17 innings in his first two starts with 20 strikeouts. Um, and yeah, both are relatively as likely to occur you know, the, the extreme good and extreme bad. Um, and so that's, that's the, that's the amateur statistician talking at you that the gamer in me wants to call it luck because I'm purposely trying to denigrate the strategy and gamers don't like <laughs> luck. So I, I, that's the reason I chose that term, but I do hear what you're saying. Yeah. It, it's just, I think it communicates the idea of what we're dealing with. It's yeah, it's this uncertainty. That's what the shortened season is really going to heighten is we have this very high level of uncertainty to begin with in fantasy baseball. And this just ratchets it up to, you know, 20. Adam, I have one thing to add. What are your thoughts here? (laughs) Well, you know, we have a sense of urgency as fantasy baseball players with a short season, less than 60 games, but MLB teams are also going to have that. If you have too many guys in your fantasy rotation that are not mainstays in their rotation, they're going to get skipped. Uh, you're going to see, especially if, if we have enough days off, you're going to see, I think, not necessarily a four-man rotation, but but think about it. Like, You don't have to save bullets from your starting pitchers. You don't have to give them six days rest and go with a five-man rotation if you have an off day. So if your team, if an MLB team doesn't like its fifth starter, they're going to skip them. So that's something you have to keep in mind. You want more players in your fantasy rotation that are definitely not going to get skipped are not number five starting pitchers. I would, you know, I wouldn't want to have like Alex Wood and maybe, maybe it's Julio Reyes, whoever their fifth starter is going to end up being. I wouldn't want to have too many guys that are back end of the rotation guys with upside because they're going to get skipped. And if they don't, especially if they don't do well, but even if they do do well, you know, these teams have to win every time out. They're going to approach it like the postseason, and they're going to shorten their rotation, and they're going to shorten the leash on these guys too. Sure. Yeah, I think that's a, a good way to put it. Um, anything else to add on this homework assignment that we had here? I, I just think that since there are so many more hitters that get drafted in the top 70 than pitchers, that it was probably a very difficult homework assignment for me to give you. <laughs> and I don't know what we can take away from it. Like, yeah, you would expect more hitters to finish top 10, top 20, top 30. Um, 
I know you gave rates and all that, but there's just not that many pitchers. So I, I don't know. I'm not going to, I'm not going to change my strategy that much. If I change it, it might be something like I go from four pitchers with my first eight picks to four pitchers with my first nine or 10, something like that. Uh, a mild downgrade for pitchers since they are a little bit flaky, but I think I'm going to just stick with what I usually do because the, the other reason why we draft pitchers early, is not just because pitching shallow, it's because hitting is so deep and you're not getting that much of an advantage by taking a short stop in round seven compared to round 10. You know what I mean? So that's the other part of it. It's, it's the depth of the positions as well. I'm not going to change anything all that much. All right. I want to get into some of our fantasy superlatives, but before we do that, I do want to remind everybody that the fantasy football product is now available. And Adam, I know that you could talk more about this. And I know that you guys have a Twitch mock draft, which is tonight, Tuesday, June 16th. So just talk about everything FFT related. I know you got a lot going on over there, Adam. Yes. Uh, so we have sleepers, breakouts, and busts on the podcast this week, plus a breakdown of each of the top 30 in our consensus rankings. That came out Monday. Sleepers came out this morning. Breakouts will be Wednesday morning and Friday morning busts. Uh, Chris can probably tell you what's going on on the, on the website, but tons of great content. And Twitch tonight, twitch.com slash FF today. If you're not familiar with Twitch, I wasn't. It's live streaming. We're going to be doing a mock draft. You can follow along. You can see us mock. You can watch us as we mock. You can ask us questions and we'll answer them live. You can mock us perfectly, (laughs) Uh, but you can't draft us. But yeah, you can ask us fantasy questions live and um, we have a good time. We do it every Tuesday, uh, most Tuesday nights now. So um, twitch.com slash FF today. Cool. Chris, did you want to uh, quickly mention any of those fantasy football products that are now available? Well, it's the it's the fantasy commissioner product. You know, we this it, it relaunched this week, and uh, you know that kind of coincides with our launch of our fantasy draft prep content. We've been doing it for uh, you know the whole off season. We've done more fantasy football off season content than ever this off season, but now we're you know this is the start of us. You know, we did the top one hundred breakdowns, case for and case against yesterday, sleepers today breakouts bus the next two days and then dave's tears on friday so you know we're really this is kind of the point where we're getting back to focusing on football to get you ready for you know your drafts in in august i think it's crazy. i think it's ridiculous chris that you're focusing on football before the baseball season even starts i mean how dare you chris (laughs) (laughs) uh cbs always always focusing on football before baseball ridiculous well, it's it's going to be more deserved than ever this year if we're starting in August. I can't I, wait till I just opening day. I just hope we're starting it all at this point. This is the most pessimistic I've been throughout the whole ordeal, if I'm being I, honest. I, I just can't wait for opening day to like get overshadowed on Sports Center by like yeah. the Cardinals training camp opening. opening day september 1st it's going to be a ton of fun support our fft brethren all right we're going to take a quick break when we come back we will take a look at some fantasy superlatives we'll do that right here on fantasy baseball today true green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn all you have to do is water and mow and they'll do the rest weed control fertilization aeration among others they'll do all of that so you can do literally anything else 
You have better things to do with your free time than focus on your lawn care. Let True Green take care of all the hard work it takes to get a great lawn while you take care of everything else on your to-do list. You can trust True Green to give you the best lawn because they are the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. They offer a satisfaction guarantee and they have a verified best price promise which gives you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. Think about how hard it is to manage our fantasy baseball teams. You need all the time you can get to put in waiver wire claims, fab bids, send out trades, and set your lineups. You'll have that extra time when True Green is taking care of your lawn. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. If you've ever been in the market for a new home, you know home shopping can be a lot. There's so much you don't know and so much you need to know. What are the neighborhoods like? What are the schools like? Who is the agent who knows the listing or neighborhood best? And why can't all this information just be in one place? Well, now it is on homes.com. As somebody who's been through this, I can tell you these features are so, so incredibly valuable. They've got comprehensive neighborhood guides and detailed reports about local schools, and their agent directory helps you see the agent's current listings and sales history. The area you live in is just as important as the house itself. You can get to know a neighborhood without ever setting foot in it. Say you're a really active person. You could find out about the nearest parks. Do they have a baseball field? Maybe you want to join a softball league like Chris and I play in. Also, Homes.com collaboration tools makes it easier than ever to share all this information with your family. It's a whole cul-de-sac of home shopping information all at your fingertips. Homes.com. We've done your homework. All right, we're back here on Fantasy Baseball today. Fantasy superlatives. I dug into some of uh, your old fantasy, your old, because I wasn't a part of it, your old Fantasy Baseball Today podcast to try and find some inspiration. And I found a Fantasy Superlative podcast, and this is where I landed. So let's start off right here. Most likely to win MVP outside of the first three rounds of ADP. Adam, why don't you get us started? Aaron Judge. You got to be on a good team to win MVP. He's a great fielder. He's a good base runner. He's a hell of a guy, uh, and he's yeah, and he's close enough to the top thirty picks, I guess. So you know, um, I was gonna say Jose Altuve, but he doesn't make it out of the first three rounds. I, uh, I was judge. I was gonna go with a, an Astro, and then I realized that there's no way they're giving an Astro an MVP this year. Yeah. Like George Springer could have a fourteen hundred OPS, and the Astros could win ninety percent of their games, and they'd still give it to someone else. I actually go the other way, Chris. I think the way that the baseball season is, is going, like Rob Manfred and all of baseball, just as like a final stick it to you, will give the MVP award to a Houston Astro. Just would not surprise me, Scott. What do you think here? Man, did you guys look? All, did you guys have a chance to look this up beforehand? I'm I, I'm just doing off the top of the dome. Yeah. Oh, okay. I, good for you. It's not hard. Oh, you know who I think it is? Who do you got? Nick Castellanos. Ooh, bold. I like that one. He's yeah. gonna win the MVP. The Reds have to make I, the playoffs I, first. I think he could. Perf- I think the Reds will. I think the Reds will win their division, and I think Nick Castellanos will be their best hitter and perform like a. Well, I guess I, I, I guess I can't say I think he will perform like a second rounder or I probably need to move him up my rankings, but I think he could <laughs> perform like a second rounder. It's not crazy. Chris, what do you think? MVP outside the top three rounds of ADP. I'm waffling between a few teams. 
I think I'm going to go with JT Realmuto. He is, I think the Phillies are going to be a lot better this season than they were last year. I think he's going to be better than he was last season. I think the Phillies absolutely could win that division. Um, and he'll be doing it as a catcher who will, he might just play every single day this season. Uh, he might play every single game. And so I, I'm going to go with JT Romuto. The first, uh, the first catcher of the pitch framing era to win MVP. Fair enough. I think, is he in a contract year too? Contract year. So that might be, might play a little bit of a factor for him. I'm going to go with Matt Chapman. I think, you know, defense can factor in here. Obviously the offense could be there. His first 30 game, uh, 50 games last season, 897 OPS, 13 homers, 16% strikeout rate. Second half strikeouts went up. Seemed like he kind of started pulling for home runs more than ever before. Like he was, you know, got a little bit home run happy. So I think the Oakland A's can obviously be competitive in that division. Marcus Semien almost did it last year. So I think Matt Chapman, another Oakland A, can come close to doing so and compete for it. All right, most likely to win the Cy Young outside the first three rounds of ADP. Both Jacob deGrom and Blake Snell did this in 2018. Scott, you get us started here. Yeah, this is more likely to happen than the Well, there's only 11. Yeah, there's only 11 pitchers in the first three rounds. (laughs) Um... And just Sonny Gray, right? I would Go say Reds. my choice for most likely to win Cy Young outside of the first three rounds. I'm gonna go with I'm gonna go with Aaron Nola. Interesting. Gonna be a good year yeah. for the Phillies, according to this show. Apparently. JT yeah, Rio Muto MVP, MVP, Aaron Nola, I, Cy Young. I almost picked Bryce Harper for MVP, so you know. Is he outside the top the first three rounds? I don't it's, think it's a, he's quite there. Bryce Harper is 22.8. So he's actually inside the top two rounds. Yeah. Frank, yeah. I got to get going here. I'm sorry. So it's I'm all good. You, Charlie, Charlie Morton is going oh, to win. Oh, come on. That's the answer, baby. <laughs> That's the answer. I have it written down right here. I'm also going to steal Chris's bust. I'm going to say Steven Strasburg is the pitcher most likely to, the top 10 pitcher most likely to be a bust. Man. Um, <laughs> I'm going to leave too. The pitcher who's most likely to give up a hit to Adam Azer is uh, Jordan Hicks, and here's why. I just want the fastest pitch possible. I am going to swing as soon as he goes into his motion. I'm going to close my eyes and just hope that the velocity from the pitch does enough to give me like a screaming line drive right back up the box. Um, And I make contact, and and that's that's basically the only way I'm getting a hit off of a, a major league pitcher. Adam, that's going to shatter every bro- bone in your hands. If I'm at first base, off. I won't care, Chris. Adam's going to be wearing two pairs of batting gloves. <laughs> Adam, uh, underwear. Are you, are you a right-handed batter or a left-handed batter? I am a right-handed batter. Oh, come on, man. You get a hit off Marco Gonzalez. <laughs> you got the righty-lefty splits right there. I have faith, man. You can make it happen. All right. I like All righty, Adam. We appreciate it. All right, guys. We'll see ya. Go do your thing. All right, Chris. Where did we uh, where did we end off here? Did you have Charlie Morton as your Charlie uh, Morton was going to be mine? I'll pivot off of that and say Tyler Glass now. Yeah, I have both of those names written down as my two answers as well. So Blake Snell did it two years ago. Let's keep it all with the Tampa Bay Rays. Uh, Charlie Morton and Tyler Glass now. We've talked a lot about Glass now. Are you laughing at the way I say Morton? I can't not laugh when you say Charlie Morton. You're so in your head with that. I really am. Tyler Glass, now we talk about it a lot. 
I mean, if he can just stay healthy for a 50-game season and performs yeah. anywhere close to what he did last year, uh, it would not surprise me or really anybody if he were to compete for the Cy Young this season. All right, top 10 pitcher in ADP most likely to bust this season. Basically, this year's, wait for it, Trevor Bauer. Womp womp. Scott, you're up. Top 10 in ADP, I will say the most likely to bust is... is it's, it's probably Shane Bieber, even though I like Bieber. It's probably Shane Bieber. Why is that? Because he gets hit so hard. Yeah, that 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 to me seems like it could lead to a ton of variance in a shortened season. The one thing I'll say about that is he just misses so many bats, you know, like in terms of his swinging strike rate and his ability to just rack up strikeouts like there aren't many balls that are being put in play. But yes, he does allow a lot of. Yeah, I mean, that's true of all the top 10 and most of them give up weak contact. So true. Like I said, I I like Shane Bieber. I think I rank him higher than the consensus does, and I'm often taking him in the second round. But, you know, if if you're choosing me to pick a bust, uh, one who's most likely to bust, he'd he'd be the one. I don't think it's it's greatly higher than any of the others, I guess, or else I wouldn't rank him as high as I do, but it's it's probably a teeny bit higher. It's going to happen, though. This would be another exercise we can do, but I'm sure consistently out of the top 10 starting pitchers that are drafted, you're going to see at least three to five of them not live up to expectations. So Chris, what do you think? Who's a top 10 pitcher most likely to bust? Uh, I liked the Bieber call. Adam was right that I, I think Steven Strasburg is very likely to bust based on his ADP. I'm actually going to go with the guy who uh, couldn't stay healthy last year, has already had knee surgery this year. Mike Clevenger. I re- I commend you for remaining consistent because we have had many a Clevenger debate here on the show, uh, mostly between you and Adam. But I appreciate the consistency. I'm going to go with Max Scherzer, and it's really not performance based. It's just based on injury. I think you know you can throw Kershaw in that mix, Strasburg in that mix. Strasburg manages to stay Verlander. healthy. Verlander, another one. I saw a video of him throwing off of a mound yesterday for the first time. So uh, seems like he's good to go. But again. Once these pitchers get as old as they are, guys like Scherzer and Verlander, your risk for injury and specifically re-injury for, you know, I think in Scherzer's case, a chronic neck back injury, it affected him in the World Series. Especially in a shortened season, that's something that could uh, could definitely come into play. All right. And, and I almost picked Kershaw. Yeah. So, I mean, you could, you could make a good argument for most of them. Uh, you could make an argument for Cole. You couldn't really make a great argument for DeGrom, I don't think, which I guess is why somebody like you, Frank, tends to take DeGrom first over all at the, at the position. Yeah, he had some, I, like, I thought about elbow, Garrett Cole, too. He had some, like, elbow biteys a couple of years ago, remember? He, yeah. he had, like, loose bodies, I guess that that could be. And then I think he went on to win Cy Young. <laughs> yeah, it was three years ago. He's been <laughs> dominant since. Uh, all right, Chris, get us started here. A reliever who is currently not on our radar who is most likely to become closer. This is an interesting one. So basically Liam Hendricks from last year, nobody was drafting Liam Hendricks and nobody expected him to become the closer and it became quite good. What do you think, Chris? So that's the way you phrase the question is kind of tough. Most likely to become closer. 
Uh, well, I mean, I, I, I guess I could just go with whoever the setup man for the Marlins is. Uh, or whoever. Who, who is but, that? I don't know. But that's, but that's not what I'm going to do. It would be Brad Boxberger, I think. Is it him I or Ryan Stanek? Yeah, I, I, it doesn't matter. Okay, fair enough. Uh, I'm going to go with Blake Trinan, the guy who lost his job to Liam Hendricks last season. I don't know if he's the most likely to become the closer, uh, but I think he has the best chance of anyone not on our radar to be a lights out closer. If he gets the chance, Scott, who's your pick? So by on our radar, are you including like Scott Oberg and Will Smith? Yeah. Those, I think know, a lot of those guys are waiting. pretty obvious. Just yeah. A, a reliever. Um, we don't really talk about ever. I'm going to go with Rafael Montero of the Rangers. Right team, wrong reliever. Oh, really? Yes. Okay. I'm a big yes. Demarcus Evans fan. Huh. Although he, he does have issues with walks as well in, in their minor league system, but his strikeout ability is just insane. 100 strikeouts across 60 innings pitched between two different minor league seasons last year. Uh, he had a 17% swinging strike rate in 30, 30 appearances at AA. But I like where your head's at, Scott, in terms of the Texas Rangers, because LeClerc, I mean on a yearly basis, trying to figure out if he's going to be able to throw strikes and which Jose LeClerc is going to show up. Yeah. It would not surprise me if he loses that role rather quickly. It, it, would, it would be helpful to know who his backup is. And just based on the way Montero was being used down the stretch. And he had in 29 innings, 248 ERA, 0.97 whip, 10.6K per nine. I mean, he had closer caliber numbers. So I think... Former Mets starting pitcher prospect Rafael Montero is somebody who, you know, in those AL only roto leagues, probably needs to be drafted. Is that the same Rafael Montero who's had who was like suspended, was like banned for life for steroids? No, that was not Rafael Montero. That was Henry Mejia. Yeah. Ah, uh, okay. You've got your uh, former top Mets pitching yeah, prospects mixed, mixed up. Mets, yeah. <laughs> All right, let's stick with the reliever, the bullpen theme here, Scott. Uh, and it could be the same answer, I guess, based on Jose LeClerc, but who is uh, the first closer to lose their job this season? No, it's not the same answer. It's it's Wade Davis. That's my answer. Scott yep, Oberg replaces him. That's the answer. Yep. Yeah, that is a very fair answer, and I will not argue with that. But And I don't even know if this guy is going to be named the closer because... They were kind of non-committal on it anyway, but I, I could see him starting as the closer and then just completely falling off. And for me, that's Ian Kennedy with the Kansas sure. City Royals. And they were talking up Trevor Rosenthal and Mike Matheny has a rapport with Rosenthal and they're friends and they have that camaraderie and whatever. There's just a trust factor there. And Rosenthal looked very good in the spring for what it's worth. Not sure how much, but I'll just throw that out there. Ian All Kennedy. innings. Yeah, Ian <laughs> Kennedy for me. First closer to lose. Their job. All right, this is a little bit more interesting, and I'm going to hold you to it over the next three to five years. The prospect most likely to become the next Ronald Acuna in the next three to five years. So a player who has not debuted yet, still has prospect status, and you can see becoming a first-round player in redraft leagues within the next three to five years. Scott. Um, so that's the only criteria. He just can't have debuted yet. And we could see him having, yeah, it's becoming just a top five pick, whatever prospect you could see. I mean, if you want to take, uh, 
like Ronald Acuna's skill set into account. That's something I did, but you don't have to do that. Someone who could become like a 30-30 player, for example, or 40-40, I guess. I mean, I think no matter what criteria you use, it's probably the same answer, right? Who is Luis it? Robert? No, Wander Franco. He's oh, okay. okay. an 18-year-old who is the consensus top prospect in baseball who had 19 more walks than strikeouts last season, nine homers and 18 stolen bases as an 18 year old playing in a ball. Like he could be, he could be the guy who, if we had a normal 2020 season, we were screaming about not getting called up in, you know, May. Yeah. I, I, I see it. I think I comp him more to like a Juan Soto, which I guess is not really dissimilar. Like he could become more, a first round pick with really good play discipline regardless. He's got right. the speed, though. I mean, he was not an effective base stealer last year, but he was certainly an enthusiastic one. <laughs> he 32 stolen bases in 114 games. And, you know, I, I think the scouting reports generally do indicate that he, uh, you know, is a plus runner. I, I don't envision him being a big base stealer either, like Frank, and, and it's hard to tell, of course, from minor league numbers. Uh, so I was thinking more skill set and just the necessity of getting stolen bases from a top three pick in Roto right now. Maybe that'll change by the, you know, in three to five years, maybe everybody will be running more and home runs will be less frequent. I, I don't know. It's possible. Look how much has changed in the last three to five years. Uh, but yeah, now that's interesting because I would absolutely call Franco the best prospect in baseball, but a lot of that's how I weigh the probability the the probability of him reaching his ceiling versus somebody like Robert, who I give a lower chance of doing that, but I think it'll be if he does, it'll be more likely five category production. And I want to give a honorable mention to someone who's a little bit further away, hasn't even played a minor league game yet, but the Martian. Homer. Jason Dominguez, uh, just some of the things that they've said about this kid already. And he's like, what, 16, 17 years old, has not played a minor league game yet. His ETA is like 2024. 20, so it does fit the three to five year timetable. But he is someone that I could see very quickly rising up the ranks of if MLB if you uh, don't, prospect rankings. If you don't mind me being a jerk here, there's no way you can say a 16 year old is the most likely to be anything at age 16. Wow. You're such There's a no jerk, way. Scott. <laughs> no, I'm no just, it's, it's I'm definitely just holding fair. you to the language you've said here. I mean, that's exactly. like, that's like me and Chris projecting Juan Soto to be in the hall of fame, you know? Yeah. Uh, I would say, um, you know, if you do want to go off the board from the guys we've mentioned so far, Joe Adele is probably the best pick the minor league numbers. He's another guy who the minor league numbers kind of trail the, scouting reports but if he hits what the scouting reports say he could you know you're talking about probably the the peak justin upton years but with more stolen base potential yeah i definitely think that's fair shout out to joe adele all right last question here last fantasy superlative not really fantasy related i guess it's real life related and we've already talked about it most likely to give up a hit to adam azer i mentioned my answer Marco Gonzalez, he allowed 210 hits, a soft-tossing left-hander. I have faith in Adam Azer's ability against Marco Gonzalez. Mm. What do you I'm guys think? I'm going to go Mike Leake. Mike Leake allowed the most hits in baseball last year. Yeah. 227. 
Do they have to technically be on a roster? <laughs> what are you going to do, Bartolo uh, Colon? <laughs> no, Jason Vargas was on a He's major quite bad. roster last season. The Phillies did turn down his option, I just noticed, but uh, he had the second lowest average fastball velocity in baseball last season. He is a lefty as well. Um, so I, I think Adam could could hit one of those 82-mile-an-hour Jason Vargas uh, fastballs. He's the only like normal thrower who averages like below 85 miles per hour. Everyone else is like submarine or sidearm guys. And there's no way Adam's going to hit on any of those guys. <laughs> Definitely not happening. Do you guys remember that photo from, I think it was last year where Jason Vargas and the reporter looked like they were from like the 18th century. Oh yes. <laughs> that was wild. All right. Some emails. Let's quickly answer some emails here. Fantasy baseball at CBSI.com. This one comes from Brian. I know it's not really super fantasy relevant, but I found it really odd that so many reactions to Spencer Torkelson being drafted as a third baseman and some of the other positional announcements drew as much reaction as they did. Can you or someone at CBS cover why this matters? I found that confusing and tried researching on the Google, but didn't see anything of substance. So I know why there was a reaction or why he was drafted as a third baseman. I, I, I think... My interpretation here is why is there such a reaction to announcing players out of position on draft night? And what I remember RJ Anderson said last week, Scott, when we interviewed him, was that the Tigers can use this as an excuse to keep Spencer Torkelson down for longer because they can say that he's working on a new position and it's just another way for them to manipulate service time. So I could see why people would be up in arms about something like this if that's the motivation, which... We'll never know I, until it actually I hadn't happens. Heard that, I hadn't heard that from anyone other than R.J. Anderson, and, and and you know that that may be true, but I suspect most people who were doing the reacting weren't thinking that way. I think it's just like I'm, I'm assuming he's talking about on the actual broadcasts them reacting to it, and I would say it's just because they need something to react to. <laughs> There's not a lot of information out there about those guys, and particularly the people assigned to cover the event uh you know i i imagine it's really hard to find things to talk about and that made for an easy talking point the second the second part of his question i was wondering if you could talk about colton wong versus tommy edmund for a minute i know you are all down on the cardinals this year i don't know if we all are i am and as a cubs fan i would love for them to be terrible but scott and the general consensus seems to favor tommy edmund as the better option despite the stats being somewhat similar wong was supposed to be the leadoff hitter in early spring right what am i missing also i feel like i want to drop both for nick madrigal as soon as i hear anything positive should i just pull the trigger now so tommy edmund versus colton wong and would you rather yeah. own nick madrigal over either of those um Given that you probably, I mean, I guess it's sort of an opportunity cost thing with Tommy Edmond. I, I do think if Nick Madrigal plays every day, I'd probably rather have him than Tommy Edmond, just because I do believe he's going to be, you know, despite not playing, I think his skill set is going to translate really well, especially for fantasy. He makes so much contact. He's so fast that I feel like at the very least, you're going to get a good batting average and stolen bases from him where, I actually do kind of have more questions about what kind of player Tommy Edmond is, despite the fact that he played in the majors last season. Um, 
but that, that uh, only works in his advantage for me like Edmund not being sure what kind of player he is I hold out the most hope of him providing some power I hold out the most hope of him being like a 30 steals pace guy um I have more hope for Nick Madrigal being a 30 steals guy than I could uh, see that but Edmund. I but Madrigal I could also be like sub five home runs and just completely sink yeah. you in power whereas if Edmund gives you over a full season 10 to 12 homers it's it's obviously not nothing compared to what Nick Madrigal will give you. Yeah, I I see clear limits on Wong's and Madrigal's ceilings, and I'm not saying there's no limit on Edmund's ceiling. There is, but I, I give him the best chance of hitting for power of the three. I give him at, at least a tie with Madrigal for being having the best chance of being a big base dealer of the three. Wong, if he's good, it means he's basically given up on hitting for power, which is kind of what he did in the second half last year. And it's possible he ends up being the best of these three next year. But, you know, I'm, I'm weighing in upside there, and I think he has the least of it. Plus, we have such a larger sample size for Colton Wong where I feel like we kind of know who he is at this point. I don't know if he's ever going to put it all together. It's possible, but based on what we've seen, I wouldn't say that it's likely. The last one we'll get to today is from Tim. Hey, Carl, Moe, Barney, and Lenny. Oh, yeah. I'm, sorry, I wasn't paying attention. <laughs> Simpsons guys. Simpsons guys, that's right. Specifically at Moe's Bar. Yeah. yeah. Apparently, they're known as The Guys. I have not watched huh. a lot of Simpsons in my life, so... I've, just just another one. I, nor friends, right? I mean, you, you were... <laughs> you got some catching up to do, son. I do. I, I do indeed. Scott, if you want to just make a list of, like, things Frank needs to watch over the next month yeah. or so, because we're... Probably not going to have baseball in that time. <laughs> Feel free to send it over. You know what, Frank? It's okay to not have watched these cultural touchstones. Don't let people don't let people shame you for it. Ah, right? I mean, it, I don't mind being shamed. It's fine. I, the, the thing guy. is, if something's good, then I don't want to miss out on it. And, and Chris, don't. I know that you're trying to use this as a reason to back your way out of not watching Breaking Bad, but it's not going to happen. <laughs> oh, not I'm on just, my watch. I'm never. I'm never going to watch Breaking Bad. What? <laughs> it's uh, just not going to happen. Yeah. Uh, you hurt my heart. I used heart. to say that about Game of Thrones, and then I I very suddenly changed my mind. And I'm glad I did, despite, you know, <laughs> despite it ending on kind of a down note. All right. Tim's question. Thank you for helping out with my Yelich question. I, this is a follow-up from last week. I asked about Christian Yelich and Shane Bieber for Garrett Cole and Freddie Freeman. This was a trade question we got last week. I managed to do... Christian Yelich and Miguel Sano instead for Cole and Freeman. And then he flipped Garrett Cole and Freddie Freeman for Mike Trout and Jose Ramirez. What do you guys think? Cole and Freeman for Trout and Ramirez. It's pretty good. It, yeah. It, I, I, I guess probably any, any time you're giving up Trout, you're getting Trout back in a deal without giving up, you know, Acuna. And you're still getting like a second round. Like you're, somebody gave up their first and second. You gave up your first and second rounder and you're getting a first and second rounder back. And it just so happens that the first rounder in this case is Trout. I don't see how you don't win win that deal. I can't say it's an A plus. I mean, it's pretty even, but I'll give it a, I'll give it a B. I mean, for being a first and second rounder for a first and second rounder, it's, it's about as well as you probably can do. 10 team I mean, Roto, you, by the way, Chris. If if you think about it in terms of like the draft capital involved, you probably traded like 
the third or fourth pick plus the 20th pick for the first pick and the 15th pick or the second pick and the 15th pick. So, you know, I, I think each one of these is sort of just like shuffling very similar amounts of value. And if you re- would rather have, you know, I think Trout obviously makes it a win, but if you would have rather had the elite starting pitcher and the big bat, then I think Colin Freeman probably would have made more sense. Um, but look, I mean, you didn't lose the trade, certainly. Yeah, and I hope that your pitching is all right enough to uh, withstand the loss of Garrett Cole. But anytime you're getting Mike Trout, I'm going to give it an A-, minus, just because Trout's the man. All right, that'll do it for Scott and Chris and Adam. We appreciate you all for listening and watching on the Fantasy Baseball Today YouTube channel. Make sure to subscribe. We have the link in the description of the podcast. Thank you all again. Bye-bye.